Well, good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful thing to me outdoors. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God is going to do. How many of you guys praise God that he is a way maker? Amen. Amen. I want to let you guys know that we are so excited, so encouraged that you guys uh, came out today to church in person. And the plan was to keep it, um, you know, online on Wednesdays. But we already have all the equipment that we need to keep, go outside. <laughs> And I want to remind you, just like we've been hearing these songs, Waymaker, Promise Keeper, I'm a Child of God, we praise you. These are the times that we live out the lyrics that it goes from our lips to our lifestyle. Worship must go from our lips to our lifestyle in these moments. We were talking about with the servants really quickly. I'm going to let you know the story in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, when four men decided that with radical faith, they would bring people to Jesus. Just notice that, what they did. It said that there was, the, the house was so full and they could not go through the door with the paralytic friend that needed healing that they climbed on the roof and then when they had uncovered, when they saw an opportunity, they uncovered the roof and when they had broken through the roof, notice that, when they'd broken through the roof, they let down their, para, their paralytic uh, friend and their friend met Jesus and a miracle took place and that paralytic friend was healed. Now I want you to know and focus on one word is that they now had broken through the roof. And I love it because today there might be no room through the door, but if we can move outside and break through the soil of what's taking place in our hearts and in our world, then God can do a miracle. Now the Bible also says that Jesus saw their faith. And I pray so today, we, our prayer would also be, Lord, see our faith as we're out here. See our, see our boldness. See our boldness as we're out here. And we're going to reach out, continue to reach out, continue to meet and gather because the power church is not in the building. The power is in the gathering of the church together, in the worship, in the prayer together. The Bible says that when in the book of Acts, when they prayed together, the place started to shake church. <laughs> They said that, the, that when they were assembled together in one accord, that the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And this is exactly what we're doing. We're doing this to, to continue to meet and to listen to God above anything else. Our highest authority in our church is, is we're accountable to a higher authority. It's a higher standard, and that's the Lord and the Word of God. Amen. So we want to be able to move forward in Bible study, in worship. We want to tell those that are watching online, that we love you and we're doing our best to continue to keep the online platform available to you. So let's open our Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We talked about how to face trials last week. How are we to face trials? The theme of this book in James is the lessons in the trial. And we are in a season where we are going to face trials and we are also going to face temptations. And when we face trials, in the moment of trials, James tells us as the church is undergoing a persecution or undergoing tribulation, that they ought to count it all joy, count, knowing they ought to know that the testing of their faith produces patience and they ought to let patience have its perfect work, maturity, so that they can continue to grow. And be complete, whole, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. But also, he warns us and he encourages us and, and, and he exhorts us that if anybody needs wisdom, that they ought to ask for wisdom. And the wisdom 
we need today is that we would be wise enough to listen to the voice of God, to follow the voice of God in our lives above anything else, but also wisdom so that we would not miss out on the lesson in the trial. Do you know that if you do not have wisdom or you do not utilize wisdom or if we retreat from wisdom and we just want to apply our own knowledge or how I feel, and I've been hearing that lately a lot, I feel or I know or I think or I'm hearing instead of the wisdom from God, we will not grow in the trial. And I want to really encourage you to go back to the word of God, not on how you feel, on but what you know in the trial. What do you know? That God is testing your faith to produce maturity. And here we see that a genuine faith produces maturity and that this season is valuable to us because there are no shortcuts to endurance and to maturity. What kind of patience is it that James is talking about in James chapter 1? He's talking about a patience that is durable, a patience that is dependable, a patience that continues to grow this type of faith. Now your faith is growing now. And now we're going to see in verse here, 9 through verse 11, how our trials, or as we're going through trials, it also changes our perspective. It changes your perspective, and it takes your the attention off of yourself from depending on you, from depending on anyone else, so that you can depend on God. Isn't this amazing that we're in a season right now that we can't depend on anyone else but the Holy Spirit? where maybe you were depending upon a government, a leadership, and, and now your focus is completely on the Lord. And you know that whatever takes place in your life, it really is on the Lord and nothing else. In fact, James said, I don't care if you're poor or you're rich, your status will be irrelevant in the trial. Because both rich or poor or whichever you are, whatever you find yourself in the trial, you must have the right perspective so that you can grow. You see, the perspective is all about priorities. And these priorities are aligned in the trial. Notice in verse 9, James chapter 1, verse 9, let's read it because it says this, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass. Its flower falls in its beautiful appearance, perishes. So the rich man will also fade away with his pursuits. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your word even tells us that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will by no means pass away, God. And I ask that you would use these trials to level us, to humble us. That you would use these trials to teach us, regardless of the place that we find ourselves, our security, our safety, our support is in you. And we get to learn that in trials. It doesn't matter the age, the race, the status, whoever we are, Lord, we get to learn, God, that our support is in you. In fact, in the trials, you're stripping us, Lord, of pride of ourself, Lord. And I ask so that we would learn those lessons today in your word. In Jesus' name, together we said, amen. Now it says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. The lowly means let the poor brother glory in that it is God who is going to raise him up. 
that person that is depending on God, that person that has poor resources or limited resources, let that brother glory in it that it is God who has exalted him or it's God who is supporting him. This is amazing. Because he's saying, let the poor brother, now let God have his way in his life. And he is reminded now in trials that his possessions are spiritual. When you start to get stripped from everything, guess what you learn? Or when you're living in that state, in a trial, you learn that your possessions are spiritual. You start to be reminded of the things that are really, truly important in life. In fact, he goes on and he now compares them with the rich. But the rich in his humiliation, let the poor glory that he gets to depend on God. But let the rich also in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. Now also the rich, he can glory in one thing. What thing? He can glory in knowing that as he has been now stripped or in the trial, he is depending on God, not his possessions. It is God who has humbled. And he can learn now that God, in God, there is contentment. In God, there is dependability. And he rejoices that he has certain riches in Christ that can never be taken away. Now do you see that both the poor and the rich have one thing in common? In the trial, they learn, they are humbled, they learn that their dependability, that their contentment, and that their trust is only in the Lord. In fact, it goes on in verse 11, and it says this, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, that it withers the grass, just like as the sun now gets in its hottest time, and it dries up the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearances perishes, so the rich man will also fade away with his pursuits. Everything will fade away, just like the grass fades away, just like the flowers dry up. Notice this, everything is going to fade away. All achievements will fade away. Therefore, he tells them in the trial, whether you're rich or you're poor, do not trust on that status. Don't trust on your resources. Don't trust on what you have. Trust in who you know. And we love this year because we can appreciate that the trials now teach us to realign our priorities. Oftentimes where everything is going good, we start to now get our priorities mixed up and are hungry really for the things that are so temporal. So in fact here in verses 9 through 11, he's saying whether you're rich or you're poor, wherever you find yourself today, accept now all from the hand of God who makes no mistakes. So today we're going to accept everything from the hand of God in our trial Knowing that God makes no mistakes. Do you see how he's speaking to everyone here? He's speaking to a large demographic of the church that is getting now persecuted. Perspective really allows us to realize not only what's, what's really important, but also who's really in charge. Have you noticed that recently we started to now realize who's really in charge and, and the Lord gives us humility and dependability to trust in him? The last thing that you want, church, and the last thing that we want is to treat the trial and to now live in the trial in pride. Because you won't learn anything in pride. In fact, pride will hold you back and it will regress. It will kill your spiritual growth in the trial. Here he's speaking to the church and he's saying, regardless of how you find yourself in the trial, learn to depend on God because that's the only thing that matters. And notice here that trials come with tests but also trials come in a form of temptation. 
Trials come in two different forms. They, they, they are formed in test, and God will test us in the trial, but also trials come in a form of temptation when the enemy wants to come and tempt you. How will you face temptations? And notice this. One thing about temptations is that temptations knows no limits. Temptations is not a respecter of persons. Temptations doesn't respect titles. It plays no favorites. Now, temptations and trials. And what we're going to learn here is that if we are to mature now, in the next following verses, we must face a test and we must face temptations. You will never grow until you overcome those tests, until you pass the test, and until you overcome temptation. This is how maturity happens. Trials come in two forms, he's going to tell us. They've come in, in, in tests from the Lord, but they also come in the temptation of the enemy. I like what Warren Worsby tells us. He says this, sometimes trials are testings from the outside, and sometimes they are temptations from the inside or flesh. And Satan, what he will do is he will use a test that God has for us to try to tear us apart now, but God will use a test to try to lift us up. Notice this. What are you learning today in the trial? Oftentimes, a, an impatient person will make a test and turn it into a temptation, and we will fail. Because in a trial, guess what we are prone to do oftentimes? We're prone to complain and not count it all joy and be frustrated and criticize and talk bad about that person and blame someone in our trial. We always are looking for who we can blame, and we have turned that, that test now in that trial into a temptation and we fail to pass the test therefore we never grow you see we have to be careful in this season that we're living in is that we don't miss out on the growth that God wants in our life this is a moment of growth and he's telling them this is a moment of growth you're going to face trials you're going to face tests and you're going to face temptations now notice this how do we love God under those temptations let's read verse 12 blessed is the man who endures temptation, or blessed is the man who patiently endures suffering. I love this. Who holds on, who endures, who carries that load, who is not overcome by the weight of temptation. Blessed is the man, or how happy is the man that endures or carries the heavy weight of temptation and endures, doesn't give in to temptation. In fact, he says this, for when he has been approved... That word approved means when he has passed the test. <laughs> I love this. When he has passed that trial, when he has been approved, when he has been qualified now because he has passed or not given into the temptation, notice this, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now notice this. A temptation oftentimes comes as an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way or outside of the will of God. There are often times that temptations come before us and they're masqueraded as opportunities, but really it's the flesh that wants you to give in into the desires that it has. It really is a temptation now. And the best way to say no to that temptation is to first say yes to God. Keeping your eyes focused on the Lord, keeping your eyes focused on the prize. Now notice like an athlete, a marathon runner or an Olympian, decathlon runner, think about this. They go through four years not giving into temptation because they're thinking about the crown. They're thinking about the gold. 
They're thinking about the finish line, that they are going to abstain from that temptation and not give in now to that temptation because they're running a race. They're in a competition and they do not want to be disqualified or lose. So they hold back from every temptation to get themselves in the best shape for the prize. Now, one of the best ways to overcome temptations is to keep your eyes on the prize, the crown of life. Therefore, in verse 12, it says, blesses the man who endures or doesn't give in to temptation because he will, notice this, the, 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 a man and that woman that doesn't give in to temptation will receive the crown of life or eternal life because he's not giving in to temptation who the Lord has promised, circle the word promise now in your Bible to those who love him. Do you see that there are promises in the trials? Oftentimes we think as the trials are such a horrible place to be in, but God has promises for you in the place of the trial. God has a special promise for our lives, and that promise is that if we don't have that temptation, there is a crown of life waiting for us to those who, who? To those who love Him. Now, it's the love of God that motivates us to not give in to the temptation. In fact, what we're doing and what we're saying is, you know what, Lord, we love you so much, so therefore we are going to count it all joy. We love you, Lord, and that love motivates us so we know that the testing of our faith produces patience. Lord, we love you, God, so we, Lord, realize that we can let patience have its perfect work. Lord, we love you as well so that we can ask for wisdom that you give it to us so that we find the value in the trial. In fact, it says afterward he will be rewarded when he's considered trustworthy when he's passed the test because he's motivated by the love for the Lord. You see, love keeps us faithful to the Lord. Love keeps us secure in the Lord. It's not a double-minded person. It's a person that loves the Lord. It says to those who love him, who those that are looking to please God. In temptation, you're either going to say, I love self or I love this certain desire or I love God more. Notice how this, this amazing promise is this because it's wisdom, it's endurance that qualifies the man or the woman of God in, in the trial. And he gives us the keys now in, in, in verses 13 to 15 on how to overcome temptation now let's go ahead and read that verse as we continue let no one say when not if remember that let no one say when he is tempted now notice how it doesn't say if you're tempted because we all are going to be tempted no one is exempt from temptation let no one say when he is tempted i'm tempted by god for god cannot tempt, be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone have you ever been tempted by something and you just start to blame God? God, why did you put me in this situation where I'm being tempted? And you start to fight God and say, Lord, I wouldn't have given in to that temptation if you wouldn't have you know, tempted me or put me in this type of test where I'm being tempted. No, God does not tempt you. You know what tempts us? The enemy and what tempts us is our own sinful nature. In fact, what it's saying here is that God is so holy in his nature that God is so pure in his nature that he is too holy and too, he is too loving to tempt anyone. God is not the author of temptation now. So do not say when you're tempted, not if, but when you're tempted, that you are tempted by God. We are all now subject to temptation because of our sinful nature. Now notice this as we continue reading in verse 13. It says here, 
God cannot be tempted by evil, does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when, his, when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it gives forth to death. Now, this is the process of temptation or the process of sin here. There are four steps. When you give in to temptation, it happens usually in four steps. It happens with a desire, number one. It happens with a, a, a desire that is now controlling us, a lust. A desire that doesn't glorify God. Therefore, we enter to temptation. And let's read them because in verse 14, let each one notice that temptations will happen to anyone. When he is drawn away, temptations happen by his own desires. Now, our desires can never be our masters. Our desires ought to be our servants. Our desires are to never be in constant control of our lives and our bodies and our minds. They ought to be our servants now. And think about the desires maybe that don't even glorify God. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, what does Paul tell the church? And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. In fact, if that's a desire of mine, if it doesn't glorify God, the only place where it belongs, it's at Calvary at the cross when I've crucified it over there and it no longer belongs in me. What am I doing? I, I'm crucifying the flesh. I'm crucifying the flesh with its passions and I'm crucifying the flesh with its desires. Now let's look at the following word, what it says, and are enticed. Not only are they now desires, but they're also deceptions. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that oftentimes in our lives, the things that we love the most promise us something, but it's a lie that leaves us to emptiness that we shouldn't give in. It's a desire. And then it's a deception. Notice here. But each one, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires, and then lied to, enticed. <laughs> the word enticed is a very important word that we ought to look at because it means to catch with a bait. When you are enticed, when now something looks good, is appealing now, and, and it's almost to catch with a bait. It's something that allures you in. It caught you. And now you are enticed. The word entice also means to be carried away. And no one's saying when he's tempted, it's by God. In fact, you're tempted because it's a desire of your sinful nature. And then that desire lies to you. It catches you like a bait. And then it allures you in. So then, then you're carried away. Notice that. Temptation happens with a desire. It happens with deception. But notice here, that deception now, it gives birth to sin now. It gives birth to sin. What is it talking about here as it gives birth to sin? And sin, when it is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, it's a, it's a desire. It's a deception. And then it gives birth to one thing. It gives birth to disobedience. Desire, deception, disobedience. Do you see those steps how sin takes place, the process of temptation? It's a sinful nature that's taking place inside of me. And then it starts to entertain me or I start to entertain that desire. So I give in, I'm carried away. And pretty soon I am disobeying the Lord. I'm living in sin. And as we're disobeying, listen to this. It says, and when that disobedience is fully grown or where it has taken over your life, it gives forth death. Desire, deception, disobedience, and death. Desire, 
deception, disobedience, and death. What kind of death is it talking about here? Death to a spiritual life with Christ. So where no longer is the life of Christ flowing through you because you have been carried away by your passions and by your desires. You know what Romans tell us that we ought to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. We ought to die to sin and be alive to Jesus Christ. And it says, do not be deceived, my, my beloved brethren, verse 16. Don't be lied to. I don't want you to be carried away by the deception in this world, by the deceptions of your temptations. Do not be lied to by the promising allurement and the promising now uh, temporal satisfaction that your temptation or your sin can give you. Do not be lied to. You know, one of the best weapons against temptation is, is prayer and the Word of God. In fact, notice that when Jesus took His disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, He told them, pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing. I know you want to pray, but your flesh is weak. <laughs> and He told that to the disciples that had been spending three years with Him. And notice this, you will either enter into temptation, or notice church, you will enter in prayer. You get to pick which one. You will either enter in or you will enter into prayer. Prayer to overcome as a weapon the Word of God. But also it's the Word of God that helps us overcome that temptation. How is it? Do you remember when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and the enemy came to tempt him in different occasions? Every time Jesus answered the enemy, it is written. It is written because it's the word of God that gives us the power now to overcome that temptation. Notice David, the psalmist said, your word I've hidden in my heart, therefore I'm not going to sin against you. So when the temptation comes, I can say no, because my, in my heart there is the word of God that is strong. You see how this is so important that we would not be deceived? Oftentimes we're deceived that it's okay, I can do this. This is my liberty. No, it's not going to make anyone stumble. And I've heard so many people say that before in the past. But eventually, that sin nature that we think it's our freedom and our liberty allures us. And now it gives more now opportunity. It gives more opportunity for different compromises in our life. And pretty soon, it brings death to our spiritual walk. Therefore, the life of Christ is not flowing through us. And it destroys families, marriages, and walks with God every day. Because of deception. And he says here in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. I love you too much. I don't want you to be lied to. Now he tells him, hey, overcome temptation. And you ought to over want to come temptation. Look at the prize. It's the crown of life. Don't give in. But also overcome temptation as you consider the goodness of God. I can overcome temptation today when I think about now the crown of life. But also when we consider the goodness of God. Consider the goodness of God in verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Isn't that amazing? Every perfect gift comes from above. In fact, what he's saying, temptation is not from God. What is from God in contrast is every good and perfect gift. Oftentimes we're saying, well, what, what, is this temptation from God? No, it's not because it's a sinful desire. That's coming from your own sinful nature. You're entertaining it and you're giving it an opportunity to grow. What is from God is every good and perfect gift that comes from the Father now of light 
in which there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, we love this. Oftentimes in our life, God gives you a gift. And in your eyes, it's, good. it's not good or it's not perfect. <laughs> but in His eyes, it's going to accomplish something good in you. And it is good and it's perfect even when we cannot see it. We ask perfect. How is this whole COVID situation good and perfect? How are all these news rules and regulations perfect? Lord, they have divided even the church, Lord. How is it good and perfect? But as He is a sovereign God, He is going to give us a good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from what? The Father of lights. Notice this, the Father of lights. Not only is He the one that gives good and perfect gifts, He gives them in a good and perfect way. Has somebody ever given you a gift and it's a good gift, except you can't even enjoy it because of the way they gave it to you, <laughs> right? Here's the gift that you wanted, they tell you. And it is what you wanted, but the way that you wanted it wasn't that same, wasn't particularly the most loving way. Well, he's saying here, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not only the, the, way, the gift, but also the way God gives it to you. The Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now notice, the Father of lights. Lights is so important. I want you to know that. Because he's the Father of lights that expels the decision or the He's the father of lights that brings light and exposes the darkest moments of deception of sin. That sin wants to bring you in. He's the father of lights, exposes that darkness. But not only is he the father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turn. Notice that when you move light and there is often shade, shade will also move because the light has moved. And there is a lot of variation. There's a lot of variation. Now notice, in God... He is always good and perfect, and He never changes. Isn't that amazing that you can trust the Lord, that the Lord, you're not going to wake up one day and expect the Lord to be different as the shade is different, as the light is different. No, in the Lord, there is no variation or shadow of turning. He doesn't turn one way or another way. He is constant. He is faithful. He is the same. And He goes on as we finish off in verse 18. Of His own will, in fact, his sovereign will, of His own will. Now you have to realize how much the Lord loves you here in verse 18. Because He's given you, offered you a prize, promised you a prize. As the... He's promised you every good and perfect gift in a good and perfect way, but also out of His own will. It was His own intention. It was a God-initiated now salvation. Out of His own will, he brought us forth. He brought you out of sin. He brought you forth. He gave you regeneration. You were born again. Out of His will, you've been born again. He's given you the opportunity to be born again as He sent His Son, Jesus, and He made a way and He offered us the word, here it is, of truth. You know what the best way of being able to detect lies? Is knowing the word of truth. And oftentimes, the reason why we give into temptation or deception is that we are not being faithful with the word of truth. You don't know the handbook of life, which is the word of God. The Lord has brought you forth. He's giving you now life, spiritual life. He's given it to us from the word of truth. Why is it from the Bible that He gives us regeneration? Have you noticed that sometimes you may have a loved one or maybe your personal testimony that, that you didn't know that your life was going to change, but you started reading 
before you started going to church and it was the Bible that changed your life? The Word of God says that it's, a, it's living and powerful and it's a double-edged sword. It cuts one way and it cuts the other way and it, it exposes even the deepest intents in the, uh, 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 of man's hearts and motivations that it now exposes our sinfulness, the Word of God, bringing us into regeneration and a walk with the Lord so that we can be born again. Now notice this, out of His own will, He brought us by the Word of truth that we might be, I love this, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know what the first fruits are for a farmer? They're, they're his prized possession. His prized possession. He brought us for creatures, us, as human beings. <laughs> he brought us forth by the word of God so that we can be his prized possessions. So that we can live a life not given into temptation. You know, it was a, second grade Sunday school teacher that said and gave this illustration the best when it came to temptation. She told her class, there are two men that live in your heart, Adam and Jesus. Adam and Jesus. And Adam represents the sinful nature within you. And Jesus represents you being born again when you ask him to come into your life. And when temptation comes knocking on the door, Send Jesus to answer the door, not Adam. Because every time we send Adam to open the door, when temptation comes knocking, we're going to give in and allow temptation into our hearts. But when we ask Jesus to answer the door, when temptation comes knocking now, he will win every single time. And we have to ask ourselves today, are we being given in to temptation in the trial? Temptation to say, you know what? This is a moment for compromise. This is a moment for spiritual apathy. This is a moment where I'm not going to step out. I want to remain comfortable. There is also the temptation that the enemy wants to instill in us of fear to keep us back from experiencing the fullness of who God is. There's also that temptation. And then the life of Christ will not flow through us. Today, we want to pray, church, as we wrap up, that we would say, we are not going to give in to the temptations of this world. I have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. For those who live for Christ, just like Galatians 2.20 says, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Who lives in us today? It is Christ. It's not the world. It's not the news. It's not the social media. It's not even our own desires that right now we think, oh, it's break time, guys. It's time to, for a break now, for a spiritual break. It's never time for a spiritual break. Now it's time now for us to stand more than we've ever stood <laughs> for the truth because we are his prized possession. Can we say amen? Can we stand? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is truth, and it has brought us forth. It has given us the opportunity to regeneration. I thank you for these beautiful people that have come to worship you. We thank you for the kids that are here too, Lord. They're so awesome, Lord. They're your beautiful children as well. And I pray that we would continue to pray as a church that we would come to these outside gatherings in the summer. What an amazing opportunity to be a witness outdoors. Lord, if this is almost a, 
a form of you telling us that the church needs to get out of the building. Literally, if this is the first step, then teach us that maybe this is the first step before we go maybe farther, Lord. Some of us, this is the farthest we've been outside the building as Christians. But this is the next step to taking us much farther than this. We might be under a tent, but Lord, you are our covering. We thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, guys, I want to invite you back this Wednesday in person. We're going to be here going through the word of God. I'm going to thank you also for your generosity. We're going to have two ushers at this table. The Lord's placed it on your heart, which he has because he says it in his word, (laughs) that we ought to be a cheerful giver, that we would give unto the Lord in these times as well, and be faithful to be able to continue to meet the needs that are taking place in his house and outside of his house, right? So much still taking place. God bless you. Enjoy this last song of worship. We're going to worship this song. We're dismissed, and we'll see each other here on Wednesday night. God bless. Church, will you sing? Yes, I will.